And like I have never preached from a whole chapter of a book in the Bible. And I'm guessing you haven't either. It's hard. And it was really frustrating yesterday when my husband was like, you could have just picked like one or two verses and done that. And I was like, well, I'm an achiever, so I'm doing the whole chapter. So that's what we're going to do today. We are going to start a brand new series called Packing Punch on the book of Colossians. And before we get into what Colossians says, you need to know a little bit about it. It's a short book, four chapters, 95 verses. You can listen to it on your Bible in five minutes. And if you haven't read it in a while, I would encourage you to go read it. And it's an epistle, which means it's a letter. And it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Colossae. Now, even though he was writing to this church, he had never actually been there. But the impact of his ministry would have reached it. And then this church was born out of his ministry. Now, you should also know that when Paul was writing it, he was in prison. He was writing from a prison cell. And he hears about this church from a guy named Epaphras. And he hears that the church is doing really well, that they're following Jesus and they're growing in their faith, that they've heard about the gospel and the grace through Christ. But there's a little problem. And the problem was there was some confusion on who Jesus was. You see, some people began to tell a narrative that Jesus was less than God, that God was up here and Jesus was somewhere down here, maybe not as low as some angels, but certainly not as high as God. Some people had come into the story and began to threaten the pure faith of this church. And you know, even though this story took place hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I'd say we're not immune from the same threat. You know, we can't just put our faith today on autopilot because there are plenty of things or ideas or even people that will come into our story and try to threaten our pure faith. So this book isn't just for the church at Colossae. It's for you and for me and the church today. These people, they were trying to persuade the believers that Jesus Christ was not fully the Son of God, that he was less than God. Some translations refer to it as an attack on the supremacy and sufficiency of God. And so when Paul heard this, he was like, nuh-uh, get me a pen, give me some parchment, I'm about to lay the smack down for these people. And Paul, I just love Paul, because he comes in with a left hook and a right hook and an uppercut and a jab, and then at the very end, he just comes for the ultimate takedown. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I would like you to open them up to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. Maybe if you have a notebook and a pen, you want to get that out and get ready to write really fast because I talk really fast. And as you are doing all of that, I have a confession to make to you today. Do you like confessions in church? Do you like it when we air our dirty laundry to you? Well, my confession to you today is I like to be right. Anyone else like to be right? Like, Your God-given gift is to be right. I mean, no one's more right than me. I don't feel like I have to be the smartest person in the room or the most accomplished person in the room, even the funniest person in the room, although I do like it when you laugh at my jokes. But, okay, hold on. I have to stop the story right now because I have another confession to make. 
I told you I struggled through this message this week. So I got up at 5.15 on a Saturday morning to just like hone this in. And finally around 6.30 last night, I said to my husband, okay, I think it's okay. Do you want to hear my opening story? And he said, yeah, give it to me. And I said, okay, here I go. I like to be right. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room or the most accomplished or the funniest, but I want to be the rightest. To which my husband busted out laughing and said, rightest isn't even a word. And I looked at him and I said, don't mess with me. And I went upstairs and that is the title of my message today. Don't mess with me. Why don't you say that with me? Don't mess with me. If you're on the chat, put don't mess with me in there. I feel like that's what Paul was saying to this church in Colossae. He was saying, I know I'm right. You're going to see that I'm right. And now don't mess with me. And more than that, don't mess with Jesus. Paul starts his letter with an introduction and a greeting. And then he moves on to giving thanks, even complimenting them and how well they are doing. He prays for the church. And then Paul does something that only Paul could do. And he says, don't mess with me. And he zeroes in on who Jesus is. And starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, the pronouns are referring to Jesus, so I'm going to read it using his name. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. My first point for you today is this. Jesus is everything. Paul is saying, hey guys, you're acting a fool here. You need to know that not only is Jesus not less than God, he is the same as God. So in the Gospels, when it says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one, he was right on that. He is the image of the invisible God. You see, God is three in one. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you remember to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we understand that God is a triune God, we can recognize that the agent who created the world was the person of Christ. Paul, seeing, Paul says all things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus because Jesus is the image of God. And it goes on in verse 17 to say he, Jesus, is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that we might come to have first place in everything. It is all about Jesus because he created everything that exists. All authority is his authority. He created everything in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, rulers, dominions, powers. It was all created by Jesus and created for Jesus. So there's nothing that exists without Jesus. And guess what? That includes you. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. This text could simply say, you know, who do I know here? Who, who do I know? Melinda, you were created 
by Jesus, and Melinda, you were created for Jesus. And all of the special gifts and talents and unique characteristics that make you who you are were made by Jesus. It is by him that you were made and for him that you exist. So if anybody is wondering, who am I and what is my purpose? Why am I here? Let me tell you, you are a precious creation of the almighty God. That's who you are. Paul is saying Jesus is the head of everything. He's before everything. He holds everything together. He's the head of the church. He's the first one out of the tomb, the first one out of hell, and the first one out of death, darkness, sin, and the grave. And he's brought all of us that place our trust in him out of hell and the grave with him. Therefore, he should get the first place, the supremacy in everything. And if you didn't believe it yet, Paul says, Hey, there's one more thing. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God is pleased to have the fullness of him dwell in the person of Jesus. That sounds nice and spiritual and wonderful. But if you get the threat to the church at Colossae, that's just Paul's way of stepping up in a real sharp, smooth way and going right into the teeth of anyone that was teaching that Jesus is less than Almighty God. If God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, verse 20 says, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So not only did Jesus create you, but Jesus shed his blood to redeem you, Therefore, Jesus gets the supremacy from every breath that you live of every day of your life. You know, Jesus is literally the only person, not that he would do this, but he could, that could say to you, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of this world. Any children of the 80s, your mom say that to you? You see, Jesus is the alpha, which means beginning, and omega, which means end. He started your life. And there will be a day when he calls your earthly body home. But in between those two events, he's holding it all together. He's the one that holds every moment, every season, every day. He holds every challenge. He holds every promise. He's holding you together. He's in the story with you. Not only is Jesus everything, but everything he is, he is in you. And that's my second thought for you today. Everything he is, he is in you. You're going to have to think about that for a moment because it's packed with a lot of power. Everything Jesus is, which we know is everything, he is in you. I was trying to think of a really good way to illustrate this to you, and I kept thinking about my passport. Now, I am not a well-traveled person. I have been to Japan France, Italy, the Dominican Republic, and Mexico. I haven't even been to Canada. And honestly, the first time I went to Mexico was last fall. So I am not well-traveled at all. My husband, on the other hand, has been to a lot of places. He loves to travel. I just really like the comforts of what I know. I'm not an adventurous type of person. It's because I like to know the rules, and I like to follow the rules. I have never been in trouble with the law in my entire life. 
I have never even gotten a speeding ticket. And the one time I was pulled over, it was for a headlight that was out of my car. And the cop, he was really nice. He was like, yeah, you know, these, these headlights to change in these Mercedes are really hard. And I started laughing. I was like, well, are they hard in a Chrysler? Because that's what this is. <laughs> so anyway, I'm a very good girl. That's, that was my way of saying that. But we went to Europe for our wedding anniversary. We landed in France, and we were riding the train to get to Paris from the airport. And we had this really long, not great flight. I was tired, but I was trying to be a really good sport because I had planned this amazing trip for my husband for our anniversary. If you know us well, you know that this is the trip where we had a knockdown, drag-out brawl in Rome over who got who the trip for our anniversary. It's been three years, and it's still not resolved, but clearly, because I'm always right, I gave him the trip. So we were sitting on this train, and I had my feet up on my suitcase in front of me. And all of a sudden, this man burst through the door, and he was standing and talking to me, and he handed me this ticket, and he was demanding 50 euros. And I lost it. Tears started to come. I was like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what he's saying. I don't even know how much 50 euros are, and there are no toilet seats in France. <laughs> well, once I got first past the first day and a half and got my jet lag under control, things got better. But I remember coming home from that trip, and what I had remembered years earlier coming home from Japan is when we got to our connecting airport in America, and we made it through customs and through security and, and showing our blue American passports and we were back on the domestic side of the airport, there was something so freeing on the inside, something so powerful, feeling like a weight had been lifted that not only am I back in America, but man, America is in me. This is not a political statement. I know it really sounds like it. <laughs> it was brought to my attention for a service. But because America is in me, and I'm an American, I understand what's going on. I comprehend the language. I understand rules and directions. I know how much a dollar is. I don't have to guess if I'm going into the men's bathroom or the women's bathroom. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to accidentally, you know, order chicken and it's actually brains. I know customs and traditions and expectations here because America is in me. And to get that freedom and all the privileges that come with being an American, I didn't have to do anything. I was just born and I became a citizen and I was given these privileges and these benefits. I realize this is probably a stretch of a story, but isn't that kind of what the Christian life is like? When we are born, we haven't done a single thing, but because of God, who is everything, and he brings everything he is to us, we get all the benefits. All we have to do is simply receive it and then everything Christ is, is in you. You are in Christ, and Christ is in God. We are so woven together and linked together with God that there is no separating us. He holds us together. He holds our past and our present and our future. He's writing our story, and there's no separation of us from him. I want to jump down to verse 27. If you remember from the start, I said that Paul was addressing some problems at this Colossae church, one being doubt of the deity of Jesus. A second threat or problem 
was this idea that there was a mystery or a secret code, if you will, that only a few could, could have. They, not everyone could handle the fullness of who Jesus was. And so Paul, he's getting ready to address that here in verse 27. He says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may, be, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He was saying, you want to talk about a mystery? I'll tell you about a mystery. There's not going to be any more secret codes coming after this because I'm going to reveal it to you. You have a new position, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not a program that we adhere to. It's not a strict system of, of the law and the past that gets us to God. It's a new position, which Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Remember, I said we're woven together with Christ. Christ is in you. You are in Christ, and Christ is in God. That is why we get the hope of this glory. Paul says, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why we're going to continue to proclaim and lift up Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to point people to Jesus and pray that God would give sight to people who are maybe squinting, that they could have a revelation and see Jesus more clearly than they've ever seen before. Because if they see Jesus, then they will see he is supreme in every way and sufficient for everything that they need in their life. There's not another book coming along. There's not another secret revelation coming along. Jesus Christ is the place where we find the fullness of God resting and dwelling in him. And that's why Paul says in verse 28, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone, not a few, not some, but all the people, with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature, some translations say perfect or complete, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do we get complete? By getting in Christ and realizing what you have and who you are in him. And here's how it works itself out in life. In verse 29, it says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. This is the beauty of the Christian life. It's not me and Jesus. It's Jesus in me. That's a game-changing revelation when you see it. It's not, it's not Jesus and Marissa, the dynamic duo. I'm sure God really appreciates that. It's Jesus in me, the hope of glory. And how do I have Jesus in me? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians. He says, it was by grace through faith you were saved. If it was grace through faith that got you in Christ, then guess what gets you through Tuesday? Grace and Grace through faith. Guess what gets you through hard times? Grace through faith. What gets you through disappointments? Grace through faith. What gets you through the illness? Grace through faith. What gets you through the waiting? Grace through faith. It's grace through faith every time Christ does in me what I could not do on my own strength. So it's Jesus is everything. Everything he is, he is in you. And the third way Paul responds to the church is by saying, Jesus changes everything. Now, if you want to break Colossians down into a simple and easy idea to remember, here it is. Jesus in me changing everything. That's the book of Colossians in a phrase. Jesus in me changing everything. 
Jesus is in me, but being in me, he plans to do a total life makeover. He plans to change every single thing about you and me. So how does that happen? Well, let's go to the, back to the start of the chapter in verse 13. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying he rescued us out, brought us or transferred us in. And in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins and we're instantly changed because Jesus in me changes everything. Now, I thought about ending my message right there. That'd be a pretty good point to end it on. And honestly, that's about all I have in me. But I'm a girl who really loves cliffhangers and previews. Do you know what previews are? Coming up this season on The Bachelor. (laughs) If I were to give you a coming up next on this series in Colossians, I would say, now I'm not supposed to preach about this, but if I was giving you previews, I would say, in chapter 2, Paul tells us how to walk in Christ and how to guard our mind and how you were raised with Christ and our debt was paid and how we have to be on guard so we don't get caught up in the law. And then I'd tell you about chapter 3 and more about this internal change, that going from death to life changes everything about who you are and how Paul just lays it out for you. He says, set your mind on things above and put to death things of this earthly nature like lying and evil talk and lust and greed and anger. He says, let's do a total makeover. And then he just begins to touch every area of our life. He starts with addressing wives, probably because we have the least we need to change. And then he moves on to husbands and he says, hey, I want to change you. And then he goes on to children and says, I want to change you. And then to fathers. And then it keeps going to employees and employers and people in the church. And Paul is doing this because he knows that this new reality he has just laid out for the church touches and changes every single relationship. And man, it's going to be the most dramatic ending ever in Colossians chapter 4. It's the ultimate don't mess with me move that writes 11 ordinary people just like you and me into the story of the supremacy and sufficiency of how Jesus is going to be known in the world. It's the 95th verse of the book where Paul is shackled to a wall and he writes, I'm writing with my own hands. Remember my chains. Well, what does that have to do with anything, Paul? Well, it's Paul's way of saying, don't mess with me. Because there's no life circumstance, including chains, keeping the almighty God from doing exactly what he intends to do in your life and through your life. Because your location might not be ideal, but your position in Christ and the knowledge that he is everything, that he is in you, and that he changes everything. Because nothing can stop our God.